Blog Talk Radio. sounded to you folks out there but the network needs some work underline under after net work uh here it is uh oh, my goodness did you realize we're, we're staring down the fifth week of the season we're already 25 percent of the way through the season we're a quarter of a way through what we've been waiting for it seems we wait for eons and then once once it gets here once the season gets here it just evaporates it just disappears it just where the heck does it go? 
goodness knows, because I surely don't know. But what I do know, I watch the games, enjoy the games. Strange stuff happens from time to time. We've had, we we had that Saskatchewan game that took, for the Argos, it took about five hours to play the game because of weather conditions. It seems every year the Argos are involved at least in one game that's delayed by weather. Usually it's Hamilton. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, of course, it was Saskatchewan. Uh, we have seen uh, a new wave every year. There comes a little bit of a time when we see a new wave, possibly, of quarterbacks, where some quarterbacks peak through what is the starters in the league and look impressive and prepared to bring on the new wave of star quarterbacks. Joining me, uh, Mike <laughs> My buddy, uh, David Morris-Sudi. David, uh, it, it is, um, you know, an interesting season. We've seen some quarterbacks uh, get injured, and we've seen a few quarterbacks more than carry the load. Oh, definitely. I think that's been uh, kind of an underrated part of the season is how much the quarterback play has dictated. I mean, we always know how much the quarterback play dictates the way the league is uh, run, but... I think uh, seeing some of the injuries have been surprising, especially over there in Calgary, and seeing how that played out. Saskatchewan, I'm not as surprised because we knew how, uh, I wouldn't say fragile, but how, uh, you know, Caleros was just one concussion away from another unfortunate uh, lengthy absence. So, yeah, there's been quite a few surprises this season. I'm sure we're going to get to some of them, but... Uh, you can't say it hasn't been entertaining so far this season. And entertainment value is usually based on, you know, um, the the doubt, you know, sown by the team that's not supposed to win, the quarterback that's not supposed to dominate or play well, and and that is uh, more entertaining. And no offense to the great quarterbacks in, in our league, uh, you know, like Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, Nichols, uh, et al., you know, and all of them. Uh, Harris, of course. How could I forget Harris? And nothing against those guys. All the best. Love the way they play. But there's something about a young gun coming in, David, and throwing, you know, basically, literally the gauntlet. Yeah, it's it's a big uh, big preview moment, right? So uh, when you look at Calgary's case, you know there was a, the question of whether Bo was even going to come back. What were they going to do if he wasn't there? Then he goes down, and you're, you're starting. You know, Calgary's finally in that realization that oh, we don't have our starting quarterback. What's the the fallback? And you know, the guy who it ended up being the fallback showed that maybe he's not as uh, you know, even though he had, we haven't seen him a lot. Uh, Armbuckle has just shown that he's uh, he's capable. You know, of, he has the poise. I think that's the key part: is not get letting the pressure get to you in that situation. He's he's done a very good job of that. I think, um, especially against Saskatchewan, that was a very impressive. Uh, I find, I mean, that was impressive. But I mean, you can't get over what he did uh, against BC with that comeback. Um, that shows that Calgary may not be in as much trouble as we thought. Yeah, when when Bo Levi goes down, you know, you, you don't always 
know or believe that there's an opportunity for, you know, that team to continue its success. But it seems hell or high water, um, you know, whatever happens in as far as the Calgary Stampeders are concerned, they constantly, continuously, it seems always, they're like the Energizer Bunny. They just keep going and going and going. And it it is, um, I think, what we all have to admit at this point. And, and no disparaging remark here uh, for Bo Levi Mitchell or, or you know, just to say that that is a team that is so well organized, so well coached, so well put together that as long as you don't remove the whole team, and yet you can, you can yank chunks out of that team. Remember, their the defense is devastated, their quarterback, their MLP, MOP quarterback is gone, and they still continue to win. The defense seems to play well enough, and the quarterback they bring in is is set up to win. He's given an opportunity just to show what he can do, not under a lot of duress. Even though Calgary does not have a big you know big reputation in having the best offensive line in the league, David, they do well with what seems to be very little. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it going into the season. Is you know, can they continue to dominate despite all the changes that they went through? Like this, this was the year where they really saw a big loss uh, to the roster. You know, Singleton leaving, uh, you lose Claybrooks, your defensive coordinator, and that usually uh, limits what a team does, uh, how a team approaches, you know, the following season because of the changes you have to make and the personnel changes. You know, they had some receivers uh, move, you know, change places as well. So, both didn't have the same weapons as usual. And yet, as you mentioned, Frank, they're they're continuing to prove that, A, they're well-coached, as you said, and, B, it pays to, you know, instill trust in the guy that's behind your quarterback, even though he's not the guy you originally want in there. He's not the guy you're paying to take, be the starter, but you have the trust in him. You've had you prepared him. Like you know, it's not like he just came into the situation. He was there last year, so he's got some experience, but it hasn't been obviously in the same type of pressure situation as he's in now. Absolutely not. And 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 you know uh, when um, you know right now we're talking about the Calgary Stampeders. If you've just joined us, uh, in the context of uh, without saying it, without say, saying it, David and I are are, are basically uh, uh, defining the Calgary Stampeders as an ongoing dynasty. We look in sports nowadays; dynasties are difficult to create because of the cap and 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 some such things. You know, all the stuff that the volatility of rosters in sports today is like it's never been. You know, we see it everywhere all the time. But just to keep the focus in the Canadian Football League, the cap has veteran players who are well cemented in the psyche of local fans leaving. Look at Solomon Aluminium. You know, he's a guy that that you figure, you know, if anybody's going to stay on that team their whole career, he's one of those guys. You know what I mean, David? And And for Calgary to do what it's done, under that 
umbrella of doubt as far as who's staying, who's going. And then it's like, it's almost, you, you would assume the team is going to get weaker, but because of the lack of confidence or belief that others have in Calgary, maybe that's what gives them a chance. As long as, you know, it's just like you were alluding to about, you know, talking about will they win this year. Well, as long as they're in the playoffs, as long as they make it to the final two or three in the East or West, I should say, sorry, there's always a chance to win, isn't there? We know that about the Canadian Football League. You don't have to have the best record to win the Great Cup. No, you do not. And it really, really comes down to is how the coach prepares the team. I, I feel like coaching is... It, it, no, we don't. I don't think anyone ever says coaching is, uh, you know, overrated in terms of the impact they have. I think, you know, when you look at it, at Calgary, you know, all the questions of when they lost the Great Cup to the Argos, you know, do they need to make some significant changes? And what did they do? They stuck with it. The following year, they were on the table again, and they go out and they win the Great Cup. You know. That's just confidence and not reacting. It's, you know, the worst thing you can do as you, as a pro uh, sports franchise is react to a situation, especially when you have belief and confidence in what you're doing. When you have that moment of doubt and you react to a certain situation, that's where you get into tr- trouble. I think Calgary is the prime example of a team that instead of reacting, you know, always just realizes, okay, this didn't work. What can we change to get better? You know, does the system need to change? They decided it didn't because they pretty much went back with what they had from 2017 to 2018, and that worked. And then going into this season, that identity of from 2018 carried over to 2019. It's that identity and not reacting when other people feel like, oh, this is it, they're done. They've just instilled that identity that we just continue to play, run things how we've always run it, and if we have, you know, we have the right personnel to get it done, and that's what they've done. I feel. And, and you know, you know, of course, that there, if there's another organization that has that kind of mentality, it has to be the Ottawa Red Blacks, and I'm going to throw in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in there as well. The past few years, they have. They have shown, and and I think it's very important, what you're defining, what you're referring to is the non-panic mode. You know, the the adverse tendency to push the panic button, to make moves that, you know, are reactionary because of, for example, and and I I don't mean, uh, well, I am going to throw the Argos under the bus here. Drew Brown misses a field goal. He's released. This is a kick. I'm sorry. Shanks a kick. He's released. I, I just, I, I just don't see, um, you know, the concern. The concern I have with teams that don't do well are the ones that panic and change the roster. I, I do believe, you know, the, the strength of the Winnipegs, the Calgarys, the Ottawas is that when you're in the locker room, there's a form of trust a real sincere form of trust that exists in that locker room. If that trust is broken, it is so hard to get back, David. 
I I agree with you with especially at the end there. Once the trust with the players is broken, you can't get it back. And I feel like last year, I think you know, when you look at the Argo situation, that's why they made that change with the, with the coach because you could tell the players, the players and the coach were not on that same wavelength. And as soon as you get that, it's a lot easier to change the coach than it is the players. Uh, when you bring up uh, Drew Brown, I mean, the kicking game is, is tough because, you know, I, I look at how many teams have ran the same kickers for years. You know, I love, I think Ottawa has the best kicker in the league. I mean, you saw what he did, um, even though they didn't win. Um, you know, the kicks he made were un- unbelievable. And that's been really the Argos' biggest weakness, other than quarterback, I feel, is the second, uh, I would say their second weakest position, has been the kicking job. Because ever since Hyrule Lahu left uh, in the Grey Cup, they haven't had the dependable kicker. And that's not to put shame on anyone that's been there. But, you know... When you're missing those field, those field goals, especially late in the game, when it's a, such a close game, um, I feel like you know they're they're trying to maybe send a little bit of a message to the rest of the team because you talk to the players and it's a lot about execution, being there to execute. Well, it's a lot easier to release the kicker because there's so many kickers that they you know are out there that you can bring in because you know the guy they brought back was there in training camp, so it's not like they're just bringing off a guy on the street. This is a guy that was with them in training camp. There was a really tough competition in training camp, so um, I feel like this might have been a little bit of a message, too, to the rest of the team in that if you are not going to execute, if you're not going to... If you're going to make those types of mistakes, unfortunately for Brown, I feel like that's putting a lot on him. Uh, and while the rest of the team, I feel like, maybe got off a little easy in that regard, that's what some organizations do to kind of light a spark. Sometimes it works. We've seen it work in the past with some teams, but other than not, sometimes, most of the time it doesn't. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I look at it this way, and, and, and you know, we have Zach, uh, we have Zach Medeiros on, on the show here. He's a regular on the program. He might even call in again tonight. He's welcome to call any time and, and, and keep us, uh, you know, up to date on, on the perspective of a player in the league. Um, I think, and, and here's, here's, now this is not a criticism of, of the team, of the Argos. It is just an observation based on what I think through history. I think you can have too many guys in camp fighting for the same job. I, I really believe I really believe they had too many kickers in camp. That 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 was my opinion then. It is my opinion now. It, it doesn't afford, um, you know, uh, the kickers an opportunity to relax and play their game, if you will. And then they've got Delahay, um, and he's on the practice roster, uh, but he hasn't, you know, been activated yet. And 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 I think that's what. To me, is is it can cause problems because the ins- I don't think athletes, for the most part, we talk about you know so many so many of them in camp uh, a real tough job, but they can handle it. They're used to that kind of competition. Well, I, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sold on that, David. I, I really do think they also need a little bit of security. And and again, putting it in the 
the, you know, look, putting it, uh, putting the Argos up front and in the background, Ottawa, Winnipeg, and Calgary, you know, you don't have a lot of coaches going through. You don't have a lot of players going through. You don't have a lot of not just kickers. You know, you don't. You you, you have a continuity, and and I do believe that that when you have five or six kickers, you're guaranteeing there's not going to be any continuity. And, and I really think the Argos' biggest thing that they have to do, and teams that have difficulty winning consistently, is continuity. If you look in Montreal, where things have not been very well, you know, going very well for them in the past few years, uh, where you have, uh, you know, um, BC has had difficulty, right? Saskatchewan didn't have continuity. I think they're starting to, to sit on it, but, they, but they, again, they're making lots of changes. It just means that you, you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of information being sucked in by different players reacting differently to how that information comes out, if you know what I mean. There's, there's this symbiotic relationship that has to exist in a locker room, and when you make lots of changes, change means you have to work harder to get to the point where you understand each other on a weekly basis. And, and, and I guess that's all I'm saying is understanding each other and knowing where the other guy is, where the other guy is going to be when the ball is going to get snapped so that you have it in your hand and you're not looking the other way. All that stuff is because of a lack of continuity. Now, in the case of the placeholder just started doing that, you know, so with the Argos and, and, and that was part of the problem as well, David, and, and I agree with you. You know, Brown might be the guy who's taking the heat or um, being shown the door to remind players that there is a door and you could be through it. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I agree with you on that, you know, how many teams really have five kickers in a training camp? I, you don't see many. I, I, I don't, in all my years of watching, even both sides of the border watching football, you really see that. The Delahaye one, one thing I'll say about that is because he hasn't played football in a while. You know, I, I wouldn't expect him to be thrown into the spot right away just because he hasn't played in a while. So the Argos were seem comfortable putting a practice roster spot just for him, which I'm okay with. That's fine. Um, I mean, with Zach, we know that, you know, he he was there, then he got cut, but then he's brought back. So, I mean, we that he's been around for a bit and, and Ronnie, we know with Ronnie it's his injuries. If he wasn't injured, he'd probably be playing and he'd probably be the guy, you know, the Argos brought him back last, you know, they had him in there last year again with the injuries and that started the whole thing. And, and maybe because of all the injuries, this is why the organization took the, you know, took it upon themselves to bring in more kickers because of the injuries and they wanted guys in training camp, so at least they were there. If they had injuries, they could bring a guy back in this case and be like, okay, you were here. You know what we're all about. We need you to go out here and fill in while this guy is out. Or, you know, if the guy's out for even longer than that, we need someone there. So I think that was part of the Argonos rationale. But I also agree that it makes a lot, it makes it a lot easier for the coaching staff even for management to know we've got this guy, we've got our kicker, we know what he's about, we know he's capable 
of being a solid contributor for us. I think they're, they're along with the quarterback, that's two positions where you don't want to be wondering every week, is this guy going to deliver for us? I think that's, that just puts a lot of pressure on your football team and the rest of your team to, to wonder questions that should not be in their, in their thoughts at all. Very good. You're listening to CFL Talk. It's candid. It's frank. It's live. He is David Morissuti on the phone and ready to come in. Our, the one and only Michael Townsend. Mikey, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Frank. Hey, David. How you guys doing? Great, Mike. Good, uh, it's good to hear I hear you talk about kickers here. Um, I got waived. Um, and clearly, I think this was a move to say that nobody is, uh, is safe. You know, but the Argos are just going through the moments right now, Frank. I mean, if you look at the game they just played over the weekend here, it was struggles on both sides. and Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And BC Lions only won because... They got the one point, and that was it. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they played stellar football by any means. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, the reason we were into that subject, Mike, you, you were you were out there for a while. Thank you for your patience for me to get you on. Um, we started by discussing the successful teams that we find, and we find it started by talking about Calgary and how, you know, Calgary, it doesn't matter who goes down. We've seen offensive you know receivers go down and they find new receivers we we see them lose a running back they find a running back at least that can do the job for them they have trouble with their offensive line they find guys to fill in the gaps there they have a great quarterback in Bo Levi Mitchell he goes down they bring our buckle in he seems to be okay the defense the defense is a lot of new defensive players including the head uh, the sorry the defensive coordinator and it all adds up to a team that continues to win and and we were were talking about it and I referred to you know um, you know this dynasty that seems to be Calgary can we define that team with what's happening right now if Arbuckle continues to have success while the six game absence of Boley by Mitchell continues can we start thinking about this team if not before now now as a dynasty a team that just is uh a winner through and through, time and time again, on a consistent basis. It's just amazing what they're doing. Mike, what do you think? Dynasty, Calgary, same sentence? Yes. Yes, Frank, by all means. Calgary Stampeders are the New England teachers of the CSA. Point blank. They got the best quarterback in the league by far for a number of years. Been to three great cups, one one. I mean, you can go to the fifth day, and that doesn't mean you're going to always win them all. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, they're always there. And the thing about the Calgary Stampede is, Frank, they do exactly what the New England Patriots does. They find guys, bring them in a system, work them up, get them ready to play. So when the opportunity comes, barring injury, barring a uh, guy get released, these guys are ready to step up and play. And Uh, this is just typical uh, smartness, smart 
scouting, uh, a smart GM, and a very smart head coach. And another word we used, Mike, while while you were on the sidelines and getting on to the phone, continuity. How little change happens with Calgary, and it seems the only time they make changes is because of injuries. You know, you really don't hear about them releasing players. And by extension, you can add Ottawa into that mix, Winnipeg recently, and I think the Ticats are beginning to be that kind of that kind of organization. And and I believe those four organizations are are the strongest four organizations right now in the Canadian Football League for that very reason. They make less change than the rest of the teams. Yes, and and, and you know what, Frank, and I believe, and I and, I, and don't quote me on this, but I do believe that the the other three CFL teams that you talked about start looking at looking at the Calgary Stampeders on how they do things for his players, bringing them in and coaching them up. Because it wasn't really the three teams that other three teams that you mentioned, they did a couple of signings, but they did not revamp thing that have their whole roster with these big free agent signings stuff like that. These are guys that you've been seeing on the roster for a couple of years now, you know, and they just it's just their time to shine. And and they don't and David, the other thing that these teams don't do when they lose a free agent, they don't replace them with another free agent. No, they find um, new. and I think what what helps a team like Hamilton, Calgary, is they have those established guys that have been there for a couple of years. So you know you got the Brandon Banks, Nick Task, you know you have Jeremiah Mazzoli. You have those established guys that allow guys behind them to get up to speed. You know, how many times have we seen you know other teams that don't do so well or struggle have to throw guys in there because of injuries, they cut guys, or, you know, they're trying to, light, you know, spark things up, try something different. Calgary, it's all structured. And, and Mike, I think you hit, it, you hit it right. They scout the guys that they know, look, this guy can do this really well. He that's, That fits our system. That fits with what we need. If he does this, he'll be successful in our system. Some teams think uh maybe try to go too broad or they don't they don't they the way that they scout maybe don't reflect on what their team needs or what their system has. They just like, oh this guy might be a good athlete but there's a fundamental issue that we didn't see or that makes it tough for them to be successful in our system. I I also think Mike, I think another thing is is that I don't think they regret some players going. In fact, I think some of the teams, because of the cap, they're going, okay, we got this guy now. Now, if he happens to go as a free agent, it will let everybody think we're real sad about it. But in actuality, we're glad because now we get a guy who is almost as good as the guy that's going for a lot less money. Exactly, Frank, and I was just about to say that. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, they, they can act like they're sad, but they're like, hey, whoo, wiping their foreheads. We got this off the books, so uh, let's bring this other guy in and work him up. And then uh, and we're going to put less money. Let's see how he does, you know. Absolutely. But the gamble that the Calgary Stampeders, Hamilton Ticats, Winnipeg have taken has paid off. Absolutely. Um, any other general issues we can discuss before we get down to the specifics of games that over this season 
I uh, another thing. I, I oh um, well okay. Uh, you first if you have something. What I will say, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to them. Well, we'll probably get to them, but I was on this show just before the season started. I feel like I owe the Winnipeg Bombers fans a massive apology for how I basically didn't give them a chance this season, and I think they're making me eat my words. So just before we get into the games, I wanted to throw that out to any of the Blue Bombers fans who might be listening. Yeah, I might have... I might have gone a little too ahead on my uh, analysis of your team right there. Well, it still is only a quarter of the season. Uh, I was going to raise uh, the issue of the coach's challenge. Mm. It really seems to have calmed down since last year. The start of this year, the coach's challenge has seen few, or is it my imagination? Fewer-ish. Definitely fewer. I feel like, you know, coaches have, uh, I think maybe because, A, I think the review system has gone a bit better, and I feel like the refs haven't been too bad. Like, there haven't been any major controversies um, other than maybe the Caleros hit where people felt like that was not handled the proper way. But I feel like coaches are really saving those challenges for really when it matters, you know, don't be throwing those challenges early in the game where you might regret it in the fourth quarter where you really need to to challenge a play. I think they're getting a little more selective coaches on that. Um, maybe there's been some dialogue with the league and telling coaches, hey, look, if you're going to get uh, – we're not helping you out if you're getting um, careless with your challenges. I think that's part of the reason I think coach, you know, there's a lot of rookie head coaches too, and maybe they're – they don't want to be seen as overly aggressive with those challenges and saving them for when they really think it's necessary. You don't want to just throw a challenge when it's a maybe play. You want to, if you, especially as a rookie coach, you want to be damn certain. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a challengeable play. We need to get a look at this. Mike? Uh, yeah, Frank. Uh, I say fewer, but again, uh, still early in the season. But like David said, man, you want to make sure that you get it right and make sure it's a challengeable play and not just something that you think you can get away with. Save it for when it means something. You know, a couple of coaches did it in this past week's game, and, you know, they were able to win when they challenged. So you do it when it matters, you know what I'm saying, not also that you think that you might can get away with, especially if you're down like seven points or ten points or something like that. Save it when it matters. Understood. All right. Well, why don't we uh, give a, give ourselves a, an opportunity here? Uh, I, I'll tell you what. I, I Of course, we were there, David. We were there for a couple of interviews, and uh, the one that the one that stuck in my mind. We we did we did talk to Chamberlain, Rainey, Walker, and Wilder. I found the Walker one very telling, and uh, Darrell Walker being very sounding to me very frustrated and feeling as though he would like to make more of a contribution to the game. Is that a fair take on what he was saying? And we'll play it. Yeah, I mean, you for the first couple of weeks, Darrell Walker has been pretty level. He hasn't shown any frustration. I think if you're the Argos, I feel like 
maybe this is something you need. You need your star players to finally say to themselves that, you know, enough is enough where, look, Darrell Walker is being very underutilized. In the, there's no question about it. And I feel like, you know, get it out of your system, get your frustrations out, because now what are you going to do as a response? I feel like, you know, he doesn't want to put himself in this position where he's looking about himself, where he feels like, you know, it's, you know, he's not being utilized. He made it a point to, I think, say that there's a lot of things that in, involve that. I think he did a good job of not throwing a specific person under the bus or throwing, he, he made it as a collective issue and not just, uh, oh, I'm not getting the ball. I don't like it. He he made it, you know, he really made sure to say that there's certain things that are not working out that need him change. Um, and now it's on him to really, he set the wheels in motion by, by you know, with the, with the emotions he showed. Now he has to obviously take the next step and uh, show that he's willing to do what's necessary to get him, get himself going. And that's another one of the things that good teams don't end up doing, and that is getting frustrated, Mike. He's frustrated. Oh, yeah. The Argos are frustrated. Yeah, the whole team is frustrated, though, Frank. Not just him. But me, personally, my take on the Darrell Walker situation, I think he just don't fit in with the team, to be honest with you. Well, we're we're, going to find out in the next couple of weeks. Here's Darrell Walker on... uh, not quite getting things going the way he'd wished and hoped when he came. Well, Darrell, it's not going the way you hoped when he came here. How can you turn things around? Uh, not sure, man. Not sure. Just continue to grow and get better each and every day and just, you know, perfect the game plan that's in for the week and just do my job, period. That's all. I'm just doing my job. Whatever my job is, that's what I'm going to do. No, of course not. Of course not. Definitely not coming for that. But I don't call the plays. I don't put the game plan in. I'm just a player. So whatever play is called. I'm going to run whatever play to execute. Definitely frustrating, but it is what it is at the end of the day. We lost by one point today, so it's definitely devastating and frustrating to lose by a point after coming back and fighting and, you know, after a good week of practice and losing by one point like that. It can't be, it can't be bad to not like losing. That's got to be a good motivator for you. I mean, it I might be misunderstood, but... You know, I don't think no one likes losing, man. You know, no one works. No one puts all this work in to come out and lose, if that makes sense. But... uh. Just improve. We got a lot of film to watch, a lot of good film. We fought hard tonight. It just didn't end in our favor tonight. Um, um, we made strides tonight uh, compared to the first two games. You know, we, we fought hard when we was in the game at the end of the game today. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a stepping stone. You know, um, we're still learning. We're still figuring out uh, who we are. And, you know, we're going to continue to work. That's it. Uh, definitely. Definitely so. Uh, I mean, but everything has to be on the on the same, you know, line. The line has to do their job. The quarterback has to do his job. Several guys have to do their job in order for me to get the ball. So, you know, um, uh, they call a play, you know. They call a play specifically, you know, probably down to come to me. But, you know, other things have to come into effect as well. So. That's Darrell Walker uh, obviously expressing a helplessness um, and – you know, many a team and many a relationship on a team between coaches and players becomes strained like this one. This is what losing does. 
there are questions that come up. We we talk about Darrell Walker getting more targets, players like him in a situation like him that don't get the opportunities to show the skill set that they have and have shown throughout their career. David, it's got to be tough to carry that burden of being, you know, signing the kind of contract he did, which makes a statement about him and the way the Argos feel about him, and it not panning out relative to what he's being paid. That's got to be very difficult. Well, Frank, uh, can I go ahead and jump on that? Yep. Go ahead. Uh, you go ahead you're right, Frank. Uh, what he's getting paid is not showing on the field. And um, it's two things that the real Walker said that was interesting to me. The quarterback got to do their job, and he's not the one calling the plays. That's right there. That speaks for itself. You know, the, the quarterback struggles are real, Frank, in uh, Toronto. And I guarantee you, they wish they had Brandon Bridge right about now. David? Um, one thing I'll say is, you know, when, when it comes to draw, I, I mentioned, you know, it's a one-year deal for him. So this plays a lot into his uh, what happens to him next year, too. I feel like, you know, other teams may, may, uh, may see that he's not getting, yeah, you know, maybe the, maybe he is getting the plays called to him, but maybe those are the plays that are not working out for the Argos. Maybe they're not executing those plays properly. I mean, we saw him have an impact in preseason. I get it, preseason teams aren't playing at their best. There's a lot of factors that go, um, are involved in all that, but I just find it tough to think that, you know, a guy who was, you know, you go, we go into the season, all the players were boasting of how electrifying this offense is, how many weapons they have, and their best weapon, arguably their best weapon, is not being utilized. You know, we were there. We saw that he was frustrated. Um, I think he knew it was coming when we came to him, and he's, you know, he understands the way it works, that when you're struggling, the questions get thrown at you. Maybe he was trying to deflect some of those off of him and trying to put some of it on other people, but it's true. You know, he can't be the only one to get it, get himself out of it. He can get open, but the football has to come his way. Um, you know, maybe it comes down to he needs more time or the quarterback needs more time. There's a lot of factors that I think people, we can't just say they need to get him the ball. They need to get him the ball. There's other factors that that play into that. That's when when I was talking with the, I didn't get a chance to talk to my practice. He wasn't available, but when I talked to the other guys on the team, they made that clear that a, don't let selfishness be a part of it because it doesn't look good on you know the coaching staff. They're not going to try to help you out if you're being selfish about it, which I don't think he is. But I think that's something that he has to be careful with. And two. The players realize he's just getting here this season. McLeod wasn't the quarterback, the starting quarterback. So maybe they're trying to work through how, you know, that chemistry. You know, McLeod isn't exactly a seasoned pro, like a guy like a Bo Levi Mitchell, Mike Riley, or Trevor Harris. They're, you know, he's, he's still trying to discover his game too. I think there's a lot of factors. And, 
there's something has to change because you cannot have a guy like Darrell Walker have as little of an impact as he's having. Absolutely but, not. You know what, Frank? But y'all had y'all had Deron Carter last year, and it was still the same. He wasn't being utilized right. This look this looked like a Mark Christmas team that was playing last year. And you know, I'm not trying to down the articles and disrespect him, but there's some trouble in there somewhere, Frank, and it got to be sorted out before it gets too late. Well, the the the, the pressure begins to mount. Especially in a division where really we all are talking about two teams make the playoffs out of the four. So when two of the teams are running away a little bit, you know, three and one uh, Hamilton, three and oh uh, Ottawa, you know, uh, sorry, two and one Ottawa, um, it's it's not, it, you know, it's not possible for the team to play this bad for very long. You're right. The clock is ticking, David. There's got to be some wins in front of them. And they're about to hit the hardest part of their schedule. They're going to all three, you know, West teams. I mean, sorry, they're going to Winnipeg, which arguably is going to be the toughest game they'll play. Uh, Calgary, again, equally the toughest game they'll play. And then uh, Edmonton. If if the Argos think they're going to get it, it's going to get any easier. It doesn't. Maybe... Because it's a, they realize it's not going to get any easier, that the mentality somewhat changes. Like the players, when I talk to them, I, they, they realize they need to win. They can't just uh, they can't just say, "Oh, it's a long season. It's a long season." You keep saying that week after week, it's going to catch up to you. Maybe that's what happened last year. They they felt like they they had time to dig themselves out of it. They they I understand the need to be patient. But there has to be a bit of impatience, too, in that you can't look at it as you have all this time. You don't have as much time as you think. And, you know, when you look at Jim Pop, he, if you're Jim Pop, you don't want this team to think that way either. Because it's also his butt on the line, I feel, considering how last year ended up, the changes that were made, how involved the uh, president was in the changes that were made, too. So I feel like you cannot have this, you know, mentality of we'll take it week by week. No, I mean, you have to take it by week where you say, if we don't get it this week, we'll try for it the next week. No, you need to have a little bit of uh, emergency now. I, I don't know about either of you, but my, my, my concern is, is there a disconnect between the, the coach and you know, and the assistant coaches, right? I, 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 I don't know. Um, it just doesn't seem like uh, that game showed us a very not in the in the game mentality by that team. Like really unprofessional mistakes. That that's the scary part about the way the Argos are playing. David, we'll let Mike answer that one, and then David, you you too. Um, do you do you does this team seem to you like it does to me? They're playing with their heads not in the game, or apparently not in the game. Oh, Frank, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because I was about to say the same thing about there's some disconnect between. There's some disconnect in there somewhere. I don't know if it's with the head coach and the, uh, the offensive coordinators, the head coach and the players. Uh, 
uh, but there's some disconnect in there somewhere, Frank. You can just tell by the body language. I mean, it, it's just like there are goals to be like, man, let's hurry and get this game over so I can go home. David? Body language. What? I hear yeah, you. I feel like. Look, I feel like the first two weeks, their heads definitely weren't in it. There were so many. You look at the blowouts, both the blowouts. How many of those? How many breakdowns led to touchdowns? It wasn't like the Argos were being costly. They were the like, other teams are driving, wearing down the defense. No, this was like terrible breakdowns. The guy slips. Yes. Guys knock into each other. Um, you know, guys run, you know, break, breaking tackles, you know, missed tackles, stuff like that. I feel like the first two weeks, that was the biggest issue. When you look at the third week, yeah, there were some of, there were those issues, especially late in the game, but they weren't as prominent as they were in the first two weeks. When you look at, when we talk about the coaching staff, Frank, I, I was one of those people that felt like a guy like Tommy Condell didn't have the free reign that he might now have in Ed, in Hamilton. You look at that offense, like nobody's doubting whether Hamilton's a good offense. I feel like Tommy Condell kind of took a bit of the blame for the offensive mistakes, even though we all know Mark Tressman was the one who ran that offense. You know, I felt Condell was really good with the receivers. He did a lot of good work with the receivers. He would be a perfect guy for the situation right now. Now, at the same time, we talked with uh, Corey and he mentions not having a mini camp, or I think maybe that was after the game in practice. One of those, I talked, we talked about how not having a mini camp, and that really does impact, especially when you, you're having a new coaching staff and they're trying to implement their system, and guys are trying to get over that, you know, what their, their old habits. Old habits don't just go away, and maybe that's an issue where some of the old habits aren't, are still creeping in with this Argos team. But definitely execution is an issue. I want to give the coaching staff a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because they're a new new staff. They, they're trying to instill their systems, but there's definitely something's not clicking there. You know, the message isn't being received as as early or as quickly as people might have wanted. I think what you're talking about, David, and, and you are uh, totally right, um, football is a repetition game. You, it's just multiple repetition of everything you do, how you run plays for running, passing, kicking, special teams, kick returning. It's all about repetition. And and maybe there's something in what you're saying and what Corey Chamberlain said that the mini camp hasn't allowed them to have the grounding of repetition to ensure that what they're repeating actually works. And maybe what's happening is because of that lack of mini camp, the repetition is happening during the game. But we all know that there isn't enough time to repeat in a game to the point where you get it right. Unfortunately, when you get it wrong in a game, you can't try to do it right five times right after that because you, your goose is already cooked. If, if that's what, you know, it sounds like what, what you're talking about and what Chamberlain was talking about, I seem to think there's something in that that, you know, it is very important. Football players are all about repetition, you know. Uh, we talk about it all the time, you know, with quarterbacks. 
you know, um, how often you get the ball in practice, right? Who's the number one? Who's the number two? Who are the number ones? Who are the number twos? And so on. And you also have to wonder who's commanding the offense too, right? Especially in the Argos case, both their quarterbacks are younger guys, right? None of them, I feel, and Corey made this apparent that both of them would need to take their time to really command the huddle. Now, when I talked with uh, S.J. Green, and we talked to S.J. Green about McLeod, he loathed about, he was really impressed with his, you know, his dedication. He's usually the first and last one there. You know, he's a student of the game. He's, you know, he could tries to command the huddle more than maybe what James Franklin would. But you really have to wonder who is the leader of that Argos offense? Who's the one that's running everything? And, you know, we could say without a doubt, Ricky Ray, when he was here, he was the general. Everybody, Ricky did what Ricky said went. And maybe, and I asked them, I asked Jimmy Ralph about this. I said, you know, what's the difference you're noticing with Ricky not being here? And it's that, and he was, I, I feel like this is going to maybe give some clarity. And maybe I should have brought this up earlier. He said, we knew Ricky, whatever Ricky, whatever Ricky was in the game, we knew he was going to do his job, and we just had to worry about ours. That little that little message to me says is maybe there's a little doubt in that. Maybe the, the receivers feel like we have to do a little more to make things easier on our quarterback. Instead of saying, we know our quarterback can do his job, and we just have to do ours. Maybe there's that a little bit of that. I don't want to. Absolutely. But I feel like there could be that because, you know, everyone's talking about the Argos quarterbacks. And you can't, you can't tell me that there isn't that prevailing thought with the receivers. I feel like the receivers have faith in their quarterback and what they're doing, but they know that it's not Ricky Ray back there. It's not a, you know, a, an elite veteran quarterback out there. And maybe that's, that's part of the issue. I don't think it's the whole issue. There's execution issues all across the board, but that is something that I think gets overlooked at times. Oh no, I think I, I think you're bang on with that. That that, and and if I can put a spin on it from uh, my direction and from what 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 I see, liken it like with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, whom had a quarterback who was injured, and through the years, when he got injured, Caleros each time he got injured the substitute would come in and wouldn't do too bad a job. Would get help from the receivers, would get help from the running back, would get help from the coaches to do the best he could do. And the best one in Saskatchewan, in my opinion, um, was the fella who retired. Mike, you know who I'm talking about, KG. Uh, He was able to translate whatever the offense was, whatever offense was necessary and help the players understand it and and fit right in. And I guess what you're saying is this, and this is what Kevin Glenn did, and now what Fajardo is doing. What's happening now is the players can relax and worry about running their routes, not wondering how they can help run their routes to make it easier for the quarterback. Because the one thing we know about sports is the jobs are clearly defined. And soon as you try to help the other guy do his job, you're not doing your job. And I believe that's what you're saying. And I believe 
That is a major issue in any sport, on any team, and in any part of the football group, whether it be offense, defense, or special teams. If you do your job and you're, the guy beside you does his job, you'll be fine. If you're doing the guy besides his job, you're starting out with a problem. I truly believe that, and I agree with what you're saying. I, I like that explanation a little better, Frank. The way you explained it is that, you know, we we talk about the receivers need to, you know, I, I look at what McLeod did against BC. There's a clear confidence with him and throwing it to our, like a guy like Armani Edwards. And I felt like when James Franklin was there, it was S.J. Green. There's that familiarity. They know Armani's going to be there for me. I can get him the ball there. Maybe Darrell Walker, they're like, I don't really know this guy yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. And maybe Darrell's trying to figure out how can I make it easier for my quarterback to try to get me the ball? Because I want the ball. Instead of saying, this is what the coaches are calling, this is what I need to do. If I do it, the quarterback's supposed to execute the play. Maybe there's there's that mentality, but I definitely agree. If you're and they and the guys always talk about this with us. We just need to do our job, our one one twelfth or one eleventh, however they put it. And everything else works in order. S.J. Green is always saying that in any interview I ever talk with him about the offense and what you can do to get better. And I don't know, maybe it's just they're not putting – I wouldn't say they're not putting in the work because they're, they're all practicing. They're all meeting together. Maybe the message isn't getting there or maybe just the execution. I definitely think the execution hasn't been there. Mike, uh, could the problem be the quarterbacks aren't seeing – when to make the pass, aren't seeing when those offensive players with such a great pedigree like Walker and S.J. Green, uh, we know that Edwards is getting his targets and making his plays. It was mentioned on the broadcast that he's a quarterback. Maybe he understands better how to help those quarterbacks make their plays. But what about the guys who aren't quarterbacks, weren't quarterbacks, but are great receivers like Green and, of course, Darrell Walker? You know what, Frank? I'm going to tell you something. It is just like this in any sport, whether it's basketball, football, et cetera. Certain quarterbacks have a good rapport with a certain receiver. Not all quarterbacks are going to have a good rapport with every receiver. And this is what the Argos are dealing with right now. Um, Monty Edwards does good with, uh, with the quarterback you're talking about, uh, uh, Cloud, whatever his name is, and uh, say Darrell Walker might have a little consistency with uh, with with, with uh, Franklin, you know what I'm saying, for their time in in, 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 in Edmonton. There's clearly the quarterback's responsibility, Frank, to get the receivers the ball. Point and from what I'm looking at, they are struggling. Uh, I'm thinking the plays that they are calling or that they made up for these guys and not to these strengths. And that could be what it is. Get back to basics. A basic playbook. Three and out. Three and in. Three and post. You know what I'm saying? You got to use your receivers to these strengths. They got to do something. Yeah. Well, um, let's have a look at – oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. And, and see, Frank, and, 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 and for instance, 
that's what made that what made Kevin Glenn a good quarterback for the years. Kevin Glenn knew what Mill Steagle was gonna do before Mill Steagle was gonna do it. You understand what I'm saying? Kevin Glenn used his receivers to his strengths and that's the reason why he was such a game clock manager when it came to being a quarterback for certain teams. He used the receivers to his strengths. You have to do that being a quarterback. Okay, uh, let's, ta- let's take a listen to a player who had a, a real hard time, Chris Rainey, and uh, I'll give our friend uh, the Little Pistol would like to be on the show. We'll give him a call, but first, let's listen to Chris Rainey and his comment on his game that included a kick run back for a TD and, of course, that fateful single point. Um. I feel like I lost the game for the team, but I really don't know till I see the film what happened on that last play. So, was it just the ball, the way it was coming at you, it was kind of high, and then it kept selling back, and then I'm looking, trying to not to go too far back deep. And then when I caught it, as soon as I took a step, I looked, see the white, and then I heard a whistle, and I'm like, oh, sh-. that was it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's the worst way to lose right there. That one point will kill you. Is there any other way to Oh, no. That one point overrides everything. That hurts to lose like that, especially. Oh, they trust me with their life, so that's a good thing. So I just got another thing to to practice on, learn more, and it won't never happen again. I guarantee you that. Curtain helps you make better right to get better yes sir definitely for what i'm but just like the fumble where i'm from if you fumble you have to make something happen in the game or you just a fumble guy so if you fumble you gotta you gotta do something about it oh yeah we're going for the block and then uh they called a timeout actually they jumped off uh off sides yeah i, I think Ian did some little tricky thing over there and they jumped off sides but they called a timeout that was a good play because nobody wouldn't have been back there, they would have got one point anyway. So we changed it up. I got back there and, like you said, just stepped out of bounds because I was going to make something happen. I guarantee you that. Well, Chris Rainey was a very unhappy guy, guys. And and, and I think, uh, you know, he's being a little hard on himself. But, you know, when, when, when a mistake is made at that point, at that juncture in a game, one can't help but feel as responsible as Chris Rainey, David. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I both were were there, and we know. First off, he was definitely too hard on himself. You look at a guy that, when I when I looked at that game, the Argos would not have been in that game had he not had the effort he did. This first and foremost, he his touchdown gave the Argos life. They they looked their offense was not moving, nothing was working for them, and then he gets that touchdown, and you you saw something kind of changed with that team. So he did, he did what a, a good special teams guy does, which is make, you know, spark your team with a good return. He also got that one hit, that, oh, my goodness, that knocked the ball like 20 feet behind him. And he came back, and he was, you know, still a good player. He even said to me, there's plays left out on the field. You know, he felt like he could have done better. And when you hear a guy like that say it will never happen again, you know for a fact it is never going to happen again. 
He's not a guy that just puts that out there. You know, these guys put a lot of pressure on themselves. They know that they're counted on as the veteran guy to not make those mistakes. And look, this wasn't a ma- like it wasn't like he ran out of bounds. This was a, he caught the ball and you know maybe wasn't as aware as he should have been of where his foot was. That's a little different than a guy who you know catches the ball and then runs out of bounds. So I feel like yeah, being too hard on himself, but um, you know you he, he always looks that you put that pressure on yourself because you know, you feel like you can make that impact. You can change that outcome of that game just by that one play, which he could have, but um, it's not all him to put all on him. Absolutely not. Mike? I'm sorry, Mike. Right. I have my mute, but uh, mute it's okay. It's a lot of rain out here. But uh, like David said, when a guy tell you that it never happened again, you best believe it never happened. He's been a little bit hard on himself. I mean, they took that loss very hard by one freaking point. You know what I'm saying? Because he could have easily, the odds was going to easily win that game by one freaking point. So, uh, yeah, he, he's beating himself up a little bit. But that's how players do, Frank. You know, they're, they're really emotional when it comes to to uh, to losing to, to losing in the way the way they did. I mean. It could have went any way, and it it just didn't go any way this week. All right, uh, enough about the Argos. Let's visit visit with a friend of ours who's been around, uh, the Little Pistol. How's it going, Little Pistol? Pretty good, guys. How you all doing? So, uh, what's new? Not much at all. Not much at all. Just uh, um, gave up on on football. Decided not to go back to football anymore, and uh, you know I got my uh, I got my Grey Cup ring from the Argos in 2017. Um, even though it's only a replica, but it's still a Grey Cup ring, right? Because I was part of the team, and uh, and that was my first thing that I, I said: if I ever get a Grey Cup ring, I'm going to retire. So I got my ring. And I retired. They asked well, me. Congratulations. Uh, the, uh, thank you. The uh, junior teams asked me to go back, and I was kind of like, uh, okay. You know, I go back to like one practice, and I just didn't have the get up and go. I didn't have the feeling for it anymore. And uh, um, so I just said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done. Well, that's too but, bad. Yeah. But no, I, hear from I, you. I was. Good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks yeah. for calling in, and, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us and update us. Wish you all the yeah, best yeah. in your endeavors. Yeah. That's Little Pistol, a real pistol of a guy. Uh, Rob Emery, if you don't know who I'm talking about. Um, Mike, um, so we've got a, a week's worth of games to talk about. Uh, the first game uh, that we can talk about is the one uh, that I think uh, started things out pretty good for the week, and that is the Hamilton-Montreal game, which didn't surprise me. In fact, I called uh, Montreal winning that game, and the score is pretty close to what I predicted. 
and and this and and what I thought would happen uh, happened, and that is the Montreal Alouettes figured out how to take the ball away from Mazzoli. Mazzoli threw two interceptions in the first half. That had to be the biggest reason why Montreal won. Um, they got a good start, and that's what a good start does for you, Mike. Oh, yeah, Frank. They, they got up to a very good start. And, you know, for the most of the game, for most of the game there, they had Brandon Banks on the check. You know, he wasn't really a factor. But, you know what, Frank? The biggest takeaway that I got from that game, it wasn't the fact that Montreal defense had two takeaways. William Stenbeck changed the game that night. Absolutely. William Sandback is is the reason, you know, that uh, they were able to walk away from a pretty good running back last year. Yep. And he put the team on his back, Frank, and he ran with it. And when you got a, when you got a guy like William Sandback, man, that, that can get the ball and give you some big old chunk of yardage running north and south uh, and bring that defense down, man, I mean, you got a very good chance of winning that ball game. Because uh, he kind of wore that front line out the way he was running. He wore him out. David, you know, we we, we see uh, running backs run run well. Paris in, in Winnipeg. Um, you know, Erlington in, in Hamilton before the injury. It doesn't seem to matter who. Madhu um, now in, in Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa's running game always is very effective. Their offensive line. Uh, how important is the offensive line and structure for a running back to be successful? Because sometimes one gets the impression by watching that some running backs make it look easier than others. And Standback is one of those guys. Oh, I mean, that performance. When you outperform your quarterback, I don't care who you I don't care what you say. You you pretty much put the as you as Mike put you put the team on your back. Um, I mean, I was watching that. and I said Hamilton's got no answer for him, and Montreal did the right thing, which was we're going to give you the ball, and until they stop you, we're we're getting you keep going, you know. And you look at the, the guys around the league that are the elite of the elite. I mean, we could say, you know, Andrew Harris definitely an elite running back. Um, James Walden Jr., when he broke out of the seam, looked like he was that elite running back. It hasn't worked out from this year. And maybe, you know, when I talk to James, and he gives me a really good perspective of, of, from a running back of what his impact can have. He said if he's able to break out in the run game, it makes the, the linebackers move closer to the line. And I never really thought of this before because then once you get the linebackers moving up, it gives the receivers more room to move around, you know, when they when they get past the linebackers. Because if the linebackers are not respecting the run, they're going to move back and they're going to help in coverage. But if the running back is being successful, and we saw that from James on Saturday in the fourth quarter, which was, you know, you, you make the other team respect the run of your game. I feel like the first couple weeks of the game of the season – the Argos' run game was not being, well, first off, not being utilized properly because they're they're establishing the least amount of carries. And you look at teams that are successful, 
uh, Ala Winnipeg and all those, they're running the ball. You know, it's a lot of, I feel like you take pressure off your offensive line if you're having a good run game because, you know, you're not asking the the, the offensive line to make time, you know, get, make time for the quarterback to make a play. You know, all you have to do is just make a hole, running back will run through it. Um, and I feel like the teams that take the pressure off their off their offensive line quarterback by having a run game, they they make the defense honest. And I feel like that's what um, Montreal did. Hamilton's defense was not able to play that run game, and they paid for it. And you can bet either <laughs> Steinauer is going to make the defense. Uh, improve in that aspect, or other teams are going to figure out, hmm, maybe if we run the ball more against these guys, we could have more success. And I feel like the teams that do well, it reflects in their results, and the teams that don't do well, guess what? <laughs> it reflects in their their position in the standings as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, Mike, it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that you have – Stanback running for 357 rushing yards. C.J. Gable, 347. William Powell, 276. Andrew Harris, 262. John White, 230. Now, Thomas Erlington has been injured, so, you know, he didn't get much. He hasn't had much time to prove what he can do. 224. All these running backs are the reason why their teams have had, to different levels and extent, success. It's not a coincidence. Oh, heck, you know, Frank, it's not a coincidence. And, you know, and if you look at the running game in the CFL for the last couple of years here, I mean, I mean, we all know the CFL is a, is a pass-first league, but, you know, they start to play 50-50 ball here. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we've seen a legit running game by Buffalo running backs on different teams here, man, and, 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 it's, and it's working. I mean, it's like you're about to be a change in the ship here, you know. You need that good running back in the CFL, one that can block and one that can get north and south down the field. Right, right. You need them. And now they're showing the importance of having a good CFL running back in your system. Because, like you said, stand back at 300-some yards. Look at these guys, Frank. they all over 200-some yards. It's only been, what, three games so far? Everybody's on the pace for almost 1,500 yards here. And, and you know, if not for that last game, I mean, in total, James Wilder has 105 yards. A lion's share of that was in that last game, David. And and without that running, without that that ability to run the ball, as you said, and you're talking about linebackers, but then, you know, it's and I agree, it's the linebackers. But, you know, once once you create, you know, receivers working one-on-one with DBs. Receivers have the upper hand, especially in today's CFL where many of the receivers are very big and the DBs, because of the way they can't use their body, they have to be fleet of foot and quick movers. They're smaller. So, you know, we're seeing a a definite disadvantage for DBs when it comes to one-on-one coverage. And if the linebackers are, are, are not, you know, distracted by a running game. Uh, I think you're 100% right, David. I totally agree with you. And not only that, you look at James Walden Jr., 
I look at the other four, the running backs. He's one of the bigger ones, and his his strength is guys for resisting tackles. But they only miss those tackles when he's getting going. And how many times I see, I saw on Saturday or in games before, he's getting brought down right at that line. So guys are finding ways to get to that line and meet him there. You know, he's not able to get the holes I feel like he needs, or he's not getting enough of the um, of the pace or the you know enough speed to generate those missed tackles. And that was that's what made him such a tough player to play against in 2016. And on Saturday when he scored that touchdown, he bounced off, I think, at least three or four tackles before reaching the end zone. So I don't know if the Argos need to get him run, you know, a bigger running start so that, you know, he's got a bit of head steam, he's got some momentum. But I look at guys like, you know, William Stanback and, you know, he's he might be, I think he's a bit smaller than a guy like James, so he's able to get to the outside and and make guys run after him. Well, he's six so that, that makes sense. Um, you know, some guys, that's their game. They're more of the east-west runners. And I told you on Saturday, James Franklin is a north-south runner because he's he's a guy that when you try to get your hands around him and he's got a full head of steam, he's really hard to break, bring down. And, and you know what, Frank, at the same time, like David was talking about the linebackers, just watch him. Uh, and he made a good, good point. The linebackers are more up on that line and seeing what, what's going on with James Wilder here, the reason he's having a slow start. Uh, you know, this goes back to last year when he started off slow. You know, a lot of the players didn't kind of appreciate that. I'm going to be Mr. What do you say? Thousand, thousand. So they started homing in on him. I think it was a thousand rushers, thousand receiver. I forgot what he said. And right. they didn't really take, they didn't take too kind of that. So, you know, they made it, they bid us to, to home in on James Wilder every time he touched that ball. And if you notice, wherever he goes as a running back, he got a defensive back or a linebacker right in front of his face at all times. So they're homing in on him. And, uh, you know, do I see him getting off a little bit more as the season progress? Yes. But right now, they, 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 they can't, they can't on him. He's got the red target on his back. Absolutely, and, and and if they can key on him and nobody else is picking up the opportunity, then this is what you end up with. David, uh, Sean Thomas Erlington gets hurt. They go to Montreal. They lose. Coincidence? No, I don't think – I definitely think there's – you know, when your quarterback – how many – I think he was only speaking for 400 yards. The predictable nature of a team makes them vulnerable. I feel like if you're a team and you know Hamilton just lost their running back, uh, look, he had he he was averaging 6.8 yards before he got hurt. You, it's really tough to just tell another, have another guy come in there because really they don't have another guy that of his level. You know, um, I don't know what they. Long-term options would have been had they. I don't know what they had that could have worked for them, but what makes a, an offense, especially like a, a, a really high octane offense like Hamilton, work, is they have that uh, safety net with the running back. You know, Mazzoli can't just sling it out all the time because he's going to make mis- mistakes. We saw that he threw three interceptions, if I'm not wrong. 
because he didn't have that running back to, you know, okay, we're going to – the defense is taking pass. Here's the run, and we got a guy that we know that can run it. I know they tried Anthony Queen to do some uh, – with some carries. He's not really a running back. Um, he's more of a pass-catching guy. I don't know what they're going to do exactly because they definitely need a running back to keep the defense guessing because eventually Mazzoli is going to throw an interception if he's being asked to constantly throw, 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 throw. And maybe you get a guy like Brandon Banks to do a little more on the backfield, but you really handicap your offense, offensive potential when you don't have that run game. Montreal's been taken by a pretty good running back. Uh, but Sutton, I'm referring to, Tyrell Sutton. Uh, but he's hurt, and and that could be probably part of the issue as well. I mean, uh, health, health, uh, you know, and injuries, while, uh, you know, we want to say that you should be able to get past them, they do affect you. But that, again, see, that's, that comes down to the general manager having the appropriate players available at the appropriate time. And the Argos right now, and, and I don't want to keep talking about the Argos because it's a CFL show. Let me go in a different direction and, and refer to uh, what's going on, for example, in BC. They they walked away from Harris. So now they need a new running back. Who do they bring in? John White. John White, an all-star, a great running back in Edmonton, suffered a horrendous injury lost his job because uh, Edmonton traded for C.J. Gable with Hamilton. And, you know, part of the reason why they won the game was because Sean White ran the ball down the Argos' throats. And and that's the running game, why it's so important. I feel the team's ability to break down defense with the run game just makes your offense that much more dangerous because then you get the defense tired. You can sustain drives long because we all know that time of possession is key in the CFL. So if you're running the ball, you know, you're 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 pushing, you're pushing forward most of the time. There's not a lot of zero or negative plays when you run the ball more often. You may get one or two yards, but at least you're pushing forward. You're pushing the defensive line forward. You're pushing against you're making the running backs move. The, the linebackers move. You're making guys move more than, let's say, in the passing game where, you know, yeah, you're getting guys moving, but you throw it and you miss it. You got nothing out of it. At least with the run game, you get something out of it. Um, you saw that with BC when uh, they were uh, mixing John White and Lamar Durant. John, 
you and I were saying, it's either going to go to Lamar Durant or John White, and Yargos had no answer for it. Um, Saskatchewan. Yeah, and I look at Saskatchewan. They have Thigpen and they have Powell. Thigpen, he's got the, you know, the speed to go on the outside and bounce on the outside. Powell will push the line forward. Uh, And they know that because their passing offense may not be as dynamic, they got to get that run game going. And we know what Winnipeg does with Harris is he's the general and they, they kind of fall behind him. So you need to at least push forward at some point with your offense. Even if you don't get 10 yards out there at every play, you're cutting it down, you're making it closer, you're making it easier for your quarterback, and, you're, and the running back can get into a rhythm. Rhythm is very important. I think it's an underrated thing. John White had such a great rhythm in that third quarter especially. And you look at the running backs that struggle, you can tell the rhythm isn't there for them. And then, uh, you know, it makes your offense get out of sync and out of rhythm too. Before we leave it there, just a final note on running. Five of the top leaders in rushing TDs are quarterbacks, five of the six. William Stanback has four, and he's the only non-quarterback. Fajardo with four. Davis, Dominic Davis with three. Jeremiah Mazzoli with three. Chris Trebler with three. Trevor Harris with two. Uh, that gives you an indication of how important the running game is and how important the running game is for a quarterback. And when Cody, Cody Fajardo can, can uh, run along with, along with William Powell, who has historically made things easier for quarterbacks in the event of trying to make passes. That is what he has done great. And Fajardo is his own best friend because he can run the ball too, even though he hasn't relied on that. When we come back, we're going to talk about the games that took place. David's over there. Michael's over there. Candid is over here. We hope you'll stick around and come back after the break. Here is James Wilder talking about how things change when things go well and how loyal you have to be to your teammates and be supportive. Oh, no, nothing that, I, that nothing I asked for. Uh, we were in the run game. Coach tried to get me in the run game going early. Um, it was um, unsuccessful, and um, he said he was going to get me in the game. And um, it just started to be in the pass game because the run game starting early. Uh, was just unsuccessful, so he got me involved in the passing game. It's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult, but it's part. Every pro's been through it, and, and it sounds repetitive. It sounds cliche, but we just have to take these losses, get back in the factory room, and just um, use these L's as lessons. We we can't let them take be losses. We got we got to get back in the in the factory and, and use them as lessons and learn from them. Chris sits right beside you. What are you saying? I'm saying, hey, you're the best kick returner in the league. No doubt. It's no question. It's not even close. Um, we believe in you. You know, um, what's happened has happened. Offense had nothing going. Um, we had no momentum at all. He's the one who even gave us life to get back in the game. Um, so don't beat yourself up too bad. As, as, a, as a competitor, it's going to hurt. You know, it's going to hurt. And um, we're going to keep him up and lift him up. And told him, hey, I was like, you could dwell on this for about one or two more hours. We live together. That's my roommate. So dwell on it on two more hours, and I'm not going to let you think about it no more. It's time to move on. We need you. And he's the best kick returner in the game. Yeah, a uh, heck of a hit. Um, he, he seen a gap. He seen a gap. He thought he could squeeze through, and it was a good. He, he lunged at him, and he caught him before he could squeeze through. James, you have you've had a, a, an interesting season thus far. Mm-hmm. How can you continue what you did at the end of that game? What do you see that you 
Um, like I just told, uh, I, was, I was talking to my running back coach, uh, Coach Mike, and um, I was just telling them it's something that uh, I, I, I tap to, uh, I tap into when we're in the fourth quarter, when I, when our backs are against the wall. And to be a great player, you got to tap into that from the beginning. Um, I shouldn't have to be out there fumbling, um, maybe miss a pass protection or something like that. But then in the last last three minutes, become a great player. A great player is going to be great for 60 minutes. So to help my team out, I just have to be great at all times. If they're gonna, if I, I got to be accountable if they're going to depend on me. Not at all, not at all. We had uh, going into training camp, man. We had Frank running in with the runs one. Sometimes we had Mac man, run, um, Mac running in with the one. Sometimes so we had a lot of reps with both. We were very confident in both and whoever we had. Um, it was an unfortunate injury with Frank, and now we got Mac stepping up, and we're super confident with him. There's, there's no drop off in talent. There's no drop off in knowledge or experience at all. So we're confident moving forward, and you know, it's um, just if we're gonna win together, we're gonna lose together. Absolutely. Now that's what you got to keep in mind. Game one, you notice uh, you have to be supportive of your teammates. That's something you always got to count on. Um, they're roommates as well. So, you know, uh, he had a conversation with Rainey, you know, later on that night. So, uh, and especially now that they're going on the road. Uh, let's let's talk about the games. And we start with Hamilton and Montreal. Um, I really had Montreal winning this game. They played exactly as I'd hoped for them, um, you know, they, they, as I thought that they would. Uh, I'm, I love underdogs. You know, I'll be honest. You know, I, I like seeing teams that aren't playing well play well. I like to see the competitive edge, baby. And you know what, Mike? Montreal showed Hamilton that they're ready to play, and Montreal warned them the week before. You know, Hamilton, I'm not saying they got off lucky, but they, they won much bigger than they deserved to win. And Montreal brought them down to earth in Montreal, 36-29. Oh, yeah, Frank. Uh, I think right here this win over the Hamilton Titans was a, was a confidence booster for sure. And I think going forward we're going to see a better uh, Montreal Alouette team, man, especially with – with Kari Jones being the coach now. Uh, he's implementing his own plays. Took him a couple weeks to get everything down. But I, I think we're going to see a, a different Montreal West team. And hopefully, man, they can they can get some wins on the board and see these guys in the playoffs. I mean, they have nothing to lose right now. Nothing. So uh, they don't really have the monkey on their back. You understand what I'm saying? They have nothing to lose. Yeah, I think what you're saying, Mike, uh, and David, uh, your response, desperation has to be the key word for Montreal in a playoff spot. Exactly. I, yeah, I feel like, you know, when you look at the game before when they get blown out, they know they probably left plays out on the field. When you get, uh, you know, Mazzoli turning over the ball, you have to take advantage. I feel like they, they realize that they're, they found a recipe for success. And, but now... Now that they've been able to prove that they can beat a team like Hamilton, I mean, you look at uh, this week's games. Many many of the writers are voting for the Red Blacks. Like they're they're giving sorry, they're they're almost at an even split. Before you'd never give Montreal a chance to win. It, I think it's that belief. You know, you get that win. It it does so much for your team. And um, you know, they had the confidence in the running back. Their defense made some great plays. I mean. Brandon Banks was, as Mike mentioned earlier, he, he was non-existent, almost non-existent in that game. 
even though um, Mazzoli threw for 400 yards, um, Brandon Banks only had 86, which was it's still a pretty decent output. But for Brandon Banks, that's a that's a slow day in the office, and you saw Brandon Banks get very frustrated. When Brandon Banks is frustrated, he's not as effective. So if I'm a defensive player, if I can get in his grill, get him off his game, it means a lot, I think, in, in getting, making for a more successful, you know, time for your team, being giving your team a little bit of a chance. I mean, Vernon Adams didn't have to do much. All he had to do, and he did a phenomenal job of it, protect the football. Don't give Hamilton, A, the short field, because they'll make, take advantage, and Montreal pounded that defensive line of the uh, Ticats. And they had no response. We saw that with 203 yards and three touchdowns from standback. Not many running backs will get three touchdowns in a game. And we know that. John Thomas Erlington was gone. We talked about it earlier, Mike, but I didn't talk to you about it. Big difference without that guy in the backfield. Oh, yeah, Frank. That running game was non-existent. I mean, they got a couple of little yards when Anthony Coons got the ball and uh, when they did a couple of sweeps. But <laughs> that team was relying on Jeremiah's arm. And uh, without that running back back there, you know, it's going to be a long day. So that's why they need to do something, man, because we don't know how long this guy's going to be out. So they, they got to come up with something fast. Uh, I, I was very impressed with uh, Jalen Acklin. Where did he come from, Mike? Or David? Uh, I, I wouldn't be... Go ahead, Dave. No, you're, you would probably know more about this guy than I would. I mean, when you have a guy who breaks out in a performance like that, I mean, that... We said the same thing about... Um, about what's uh, Jalen a- about Addison in the playoffs? Where was this guy? This guy was on the Argos practice roster, and then he's out there. Uh, you know, he's had he's had some good games this season as well. You know, Luke Tasker uh, again was didn't look very uh, Luke Tasker like. Didn't have those explosive plays. Um, I, that's probably an underrated thing about the Tie Cats. Maybe that's just a byproduct of Mazzoli and what he can do, and he'll find any receiver that's out there on the field. Um, but, hey, if, Jay, if, if Jalen Ackland's going to beat you, you take that out for your bunch of because you're able to keep Brandon Banks and Luke Tasker from really uh, giving you a tough time. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't see this coming. I, I didn't even know really know who this guy was, um, you know, for him to put up 120 yards is impressive, um, considering he hasn't been around that much. But um, you know, in his first season here, but um, still wasn't enough because the big guys didn't come from Montreal for uh, Hamilton. And you know what? The guy he had his little sniff in the NFL. Uh, his last team he played for was the Baltimore Ravens. So you know, this guy, you know, played some football practice roster guy. Uh, I mean, but look at his frame, man. The guy's like six two, six three. You know, this guy can can really put up some big numbers if given the ball. So uh, this is what I think 
think here, man, when you start bringing these new receivers and guys, like you said, Luke Castor was really not existent, you're about to start seeing the change of the guard is what they say. You got to know what I mean. Um, the younger guys coming in, they're, they're about to start showing that what they can do, man. I mean, uh, he learned to see a field game from uh, from one of his teammates. I can't remember who it was. They were talking about it. And he worked out in the offseason and learned to see a field game. So it actually translated to what you're seeing on the field now. And believe me, Aglin, man, he's going to be a good receiver in the league. I couldn't disagree. I can't disagree with you. So this is a game that was won by a, a team that didn't look as dominant as they did in their previous games, but uh, and the team that won looked like a team that had something to prove and went about doing it. And uh, congratulations to Montreal. This wasn't a you know this wasn't a a an easy victory. B it wasn't a victory that that they didn't earn. It was a great game played by them. A great game plan. And, you know, we're forgetting, and, and uh, that game helps us forget that they didn't have a coach, you know, uh, before the season started. And their coach was hired just as the season was beginning. So that handicap uh, doesn't seem to be an issue, didn't seem to be a, a, an issue against a powerhouse like Hamilton. But as I said last week when I was doing the show by myself last week, sometimes teams ride so high a wave that they're a lot easier to knock off. You know, and I and, and that was part of it too. You know, uh, you can't play that well that long and not have a drop off, and it happened. And it, you know, it's not just because of you how you play the good team. It's also about the teams that play you that get up to that game. Oh yeah. Yeah. You go ahead, Mike. No, I, I would disagree with Frank, man. It's just how you get up for the game. And again, Frank, Montreal didn't have nothing to lose. I mean, they. They really didn't have the monkeys on their back. I mean, there's no pressure. So they went out there and played loose, freely. And for once, it looked like they were having fun out there. You understand what I'm saying? And when you can change that culture from being a team that's going out there losing week after week to out there having fun and everything is working right, then that's, that's the team you want to watch out for going forward. If they can play like this now, just imagine what they could be like when they really start getting all the cylinders clicking like they want to. And that could be a dangerous team. Uh, yeah, you said it right. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll just say absolutely. Mike used the perfect word. They're a dangerous team in that they've got guys that can perform. You know, sometimes it's just the message. You know, the coaching is not – the coaches is not able to get the message there. Execution isn't there. They're a dangerous team. They're a team that right now I probably wouldn't want to play because everyone, a lot of people doubt them, and that's another thing that makes them dangerous is when people start doubting you, you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder. And we know, I mean, I can bring this to hockey too. When a team has a chip on their shoulder, they're a dangerous team to play against, especially if you underestimate them. You know, Hamilton, it looked very easy for them in the first couple of weeks. But now, and then, but then they go against a team that you know decided we're not going to make this. If you are going to beat us, you're going to do it, and you're going to we're going to make it very hard for you. We're not going to make it look e- make it look easy on you as well. I feel like that's what Montreal decided to do. If they were going to lose, if they are going to lose, they're not going to make it easy to beat them, and uh, that makes them a very dangerous team right now. 
Congratulations to Montreal. Moving on to the next uh, game on Friday, Winnipeg is in Ottawa. Winnipeg on their beat the better teams in the league tour. Uh, they they beat Edmonton, and, and this week they beat Ottawa, uh, 29-14. to 14. And I got to tell you, um, boy, were there – I mean, I mean, Strebler is the backup quarterback. Strebler is the guy that looks like an heir apparent if something happens to Nichols. But I could still see and sense in that game at the IG field how nervous the organization was, the fans were, and those players on the sideline. Nichols is an important part of that team. Him going down would be devastating, I think. I, As soon as I saw him running and he wasn't sliding foot first, I... I couldn't. I couldn't stand to watch, because we know that's how we've seen the, that play before. We've seen that that scene in the movie before with Nichols. That once he puts himself open and vulnerable like that, it it usually doesn't end well. I mean, that makes that makes a lot the win. You kind of take your the breath and you realize, okay. We got out of that one in scathe. I think uh, there was a, a, a note in practice. Somebody had mentioned that uh, Nichols ran foot for, and he do, and he went foot first when he was running, and the whole team cheered. It, it's become a, a thing with that team that Nichols, you know, he's one shot away that Shoveler becomes the guy. And I think for Winnipeg, you put your you put trust in Nichols before. But if he if Strebler has to be get put, is put in and he plays well, I don't know if Nichols would get the quarterback position back. I know they're they're undefeated. It's tough, tough to question anything they're doing right now. But if Nichols gets hurt because of something like that and Strebler plays well, you're right, Frank. I don't see why why the the organization would give the ball back to Nichols anyways. David, we, we've seen Nichols. We've seen uh, the kind of quarterback he is. You know, he's a great manager, you know, a field management. Uh, he he does what he needs to do. We know that his most successful times don't necessarily relate to massive amounts of yardage, more or less not throwing interceptions and waiting for his defense to do their big part of the game. That's the way I've seen him recently. And, and, you know, Strebler has a dimension that Nichols doesn't have and has probably as good an arm. And, and I think he's a, he's a good manager as well. Is it a concern if a guy like Nichols goes down, Mike? Uh, heck yeah, Frank. It's a, it's a concern. But at the same time, you, you got a very good backup. You know, it's like what we call it, one and one eight. You know what I'm saying? So, uh Strebler had a year to learn on his best for last year, Ricky Wolves, as we call it. And uh, this guy's a good quarterback. I mean, he's just going to get better, better and better, better year after year. So if Nichols does go down, like David said, and Strebler has a good season, I, I really don't I, – I see Winnipeg Blue Bombers moving on, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, Ottawa. What do we say about Ottawa in this game? Ottawa is a team that that I think has shown us, in many ways, they have gotten past losing Trevor Harris. Uh, Dominic Davis, 
23 of 36, 58.3%, 234 yards, no TDs, and two interceptions. This is something that Dominic Davis needs to correct. The zero touchdowns doesn't bother me as much as the two interceptions, Mike. Exactly, Frank. I I was thinking the same thing. Not having a TD, it's, it's all good. But two NITs, nah, man, we got to correct that. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and one thing I like about Dominic Davis, Frank, is if he do throw two interceptions, he still doesn't put his head down and and, and soak on it. He goes out there and and, and play ball. You understand what I'm saying? And, you know, this is what we need him to do. He's going to have to be a leader out there and and, and, and and just make for the mistakes. But but the thing that I don't like about the Red Blacks is they need to have consistency consistency at the running back position. Because since William Powell has left with Saskatchewan, uh, I like Madhu, but Frank, I don't think he has it. But that's just my opinion. I, I think they need to look elsewhere. David? I mean, when I look at um, at Ottawa, yeah, I mean, what makes it what would make life easier for 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 Davis is if you can trust that run game. They ran the ball eight times, and he ran, and he had one of the carries. When you got a young, when you got a uh, quarterback who's learning, you know, kind of learning out there, you don't want him. You don't want to put all the burden on his shoulders. And the two interceptions maybe prove that. I mean. Um, I've been impressed with what I've, you know, how he's kind of emerged and made, I mean, yeah, it's been a couple weeks, so I'm not totally sold on they're better off with how they are now, but you take, you take note and you take comfort in knowing, okay, this was, it was a bad performance, not a great performance, I wouldn't say it was a terrible performance, it wasn't a great performance against a really good Winnipeg team. Like the Winnipeg defense has been really good. So um they do have you know now it doesn't help that Brad Sinopoli only gets three targets and one reception. When we talk about receivers who should be getting the bulk of the targets, not getting the targets, you'd expect Brad Sinopoli to get more than uh more than eight yards in the game. So Dominic Dave that's something he's gonna have to improve on. Um, if he wants his office to be successful. Luckily for Ottawa, they have uh, Lewis Ward kicking 53-yard field goals. So at least that gives you some peace of mind knowing that you can get points on the board even if you're not able to drive all the way down the field. As long as you get into his range, he, he can give you something to... Uh, he can give you some points. But yeah, I think uh, this is a wake-you-up moment for, for Davis considering the amount of hype he was getting uh, after the first couple of weeks. We talked about Moses Madu, Mike, uh, adding a running game. We've got to speed things up here or we won't get to the predictions. Uh, but, uh, you know, six carries for 18 yards, not good enough, and, and a direct relationship, again, where offense doesn't work well without a running game. Exactly, Frank, and that's the reason why I say uh, after a couple of weeks and the running game uh, continues to struggle, they're going to have to look elsewhere because uh, you're going to need that running game uh, as the season wears on. And 
going to take a lot of that pressure, like David said, off of uh, Dominic Davis. So uh, they got to do something. And for Branson not really to have the type of games he's having, you see the difference in Dominic Davis throwing him the ball and Trevor Harris throwing him the ball. Okay. Um, so Winnipeg wins 29-14. This game, we don't need much time to talk about it because we really have talked a lot about it. Uh, BC 18-17 over Toronto. David, did we miss any comments that we didn't make throughout the show about this game? I mean, the only thing I will say is at least the Argos finally got to the quarterback. I feel like that was something that this uh, defense needed is that confidence that they can get to the quarterback. Um, And BC, I'm still iffy on them. They got their first win, but I think there's still some issues, especially... uh, protecting uh, Mike Riley. Luckily, they have some time, you know, to get to kind of sort it out, but they got a really tough challenge ahead of them now. Mike, BC, do they have a realistic opportunity to make the playoffs this season in the West? Uh, uh, slim chance. Very slim. There you go. Unless they get on the road, Frank, unless they get on the road. There you go. Well, they did it last year. Calgary and Saskatchewan. Calgary wins 37-10. Uh, we talked a lot about Calgary and bragged on them about them being a dynasty. Uh, Saskatchewan, not a bad team. Uh, their running game, of course, um, has improved uh, again this year with uh, a, a running back with more of a history in William Powell. But he only ran for 50 yards. Uh, Marcus Thigpen only ran for 19, as many as Cody Fajardo did. Uh Cody threw two interceptions. Again, guys, you can't throw interceptions and expect your team to win. Mistakes will kill you. Uh, Nick Arbuckle only had two touchdowns, but he didn't throw any interceptions. The better quarterback won. David? Um, I always say to the quarterback who takes care of the ball, generally it would be the better quarterback that day, even though they might not be the most explosive. I definitely think Arbuckle outperformed Fajardo because Fajardo just did not have. I don't, he as soon as he threw one pick, you get that little bit of doubt. I feel like he wasn't fully confident uh, going up against a very very tough Calgary defense. Mike. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, they were just talking about Calgary and 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 their game uh, against against uh, Saskatchewan. Um, were okay. were Calgary that good, or or was Saskatchewan not as good? Uh, the quarterback. We 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 talked about you know when a quarterback throws two interceptions compared to another quarterback who only throws two TDs and no interceptions. We know who had the better day. And on this oh, day, yeah. the Calgary Stampeders had the better day. Oh, yeah, they had better day, but they, they played uh, lights out football, man. What can you say about our football, man? He comes in uh, and, and, and plays a relief for Bo Levi Mitchell because he's on the six game. Uh, it's like we said earlier, Frank, I'm going to make this real quick. You know, plug and play guys. I mean, guys that you bring in a system, uh, uh, coach them up, and then see what they can do when you need them out there. And this is what our football does. The guy has a strong arm. Uh, he you play some late tough football, and Calgary Stampede is not going to skip a beat. I mean, and it's not saying nothing bad about the Saskatchewan Road Riders. They just got outplayed and uh, outmuscled. That's all. 
the, run, the running back game, the running backs for Calvary when he put on the show. I mean, they got a two-headed monster running back. What can you say? Uh, agreed. Agreed. Um, so that leaves us with those four games that were played, and now the upcoming games are Edmonton and BC tomorrow. Uh, they will be there. Um, Edmonton has been playing really good football. Harris has done a masterful job of fitting in seamlessly in that organization. BC barely beat Toronto. They played a game where it almost seemed as though they didn't want to win the game. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't see an overpowering victory over the Argonauts, and I just don't see how BC can rise up against Edmonton. I got to call Edmonton in this one, and and it could get ugly. Um, it really could. Mike. Uh, yeah, Frank. Um, I don't see uh, BC. Uh, putting them to winners on this board. They're a struggling team. They're rebuilding. Uh, I see Edmonton wiping the floor with them like a wet mop. And um, this, this is going to be a little while. David? Uh, Mike Raleigh is going to have to have the game of his life considering what happened uh, the last time he played Edmonton. Uh, I, I think Edmonton takes the win because they've had a I'm, I think DC. There's some uh, some questions, but I think it'll be closer. I don't think it's going to be uh, like the last time, but um, yeah, I, I think Edmonton uh, still has the advantage. Absolutely. The next uh, the next game is Toronto and Winnipeg. I mean, if you're going to go from being a team that is really fallen, looking like they, they've fallen apart and they can't get up. Nothing better than playing a really good team, guys. What do you think, Mike? I mean, playing a really good team can be something that can get you on the right track, especially if you can play well and even win. Oh, yeah, Frank. But you got you to you get on that right track, Frank. You have to. And if you don't, it's going to be like this year, year uh, week after week, uh, losses, and, and again, they, they didn't play great football this week. They won by rules. You understand what I'm saying? So they're gonna have to come out, man, and really play some hard knock football. Get that ball down the field to all them talented receivers they got on their team. Uh, get Brian Burn on the ball and try to get Deron Carter implemented inside the, uh, in the game some way, somehow. You know, got to get them motivated. They don't seem motivated to be if you ask. They don't seem motivated. David? Yeah, I, I definitely – okay, when you look at the Argos, um, they, this is probably the best way you can get over a tough loss is to try to instill some confidence by being the top team in the league. But uh, Winnipeg is, is – is, unless the Argos can get through Winnipeg's defense, I don't see them see them doing, doing well in this one. So I'm going to go with Winnipeg just based on – how well they, they're coming out of the gate. All right. Um, the next game is uh, probably the most compelling game of the weekend, you won't think, but I will, because the game after that is Calgary and Hamilton. Um, I now, like this minute, game. This Montreal-Ottawa this Montreal game is a big game. It really is, because these are two teams, when the season began, knew and understood that there might be only two playoff spots available in the East 
And both these teams, by the way Montreal finished the season last year, and by the way Ottawa finished this season, you really there really wasn't much, that much to pick between the two guys, Mike. Uh, no, eh. I pick Winnipeg by the way. I was talking about one of the two games. So I pick Winnipeg. I mean, I'm intrigued by this game too. Or two. Um, so I, I like what uh, what Montreal has been able to do. So I, I like how Montreal. I think Montreal has a good chance in this one. And then you look at Calgary and Hamilton. I don't know if we got to that one yet. Um, I still like Calgary's chances. So, um, I, you know what? I, I think there's going to be a good chance here uh, for Ottawa to prove that they're that good. But I really think that Montreal is going to give them a, a, a run for their money. And, and I think Montreal might actually win this game and end up with a two-game winning streak which if you look at them at the end of last year, they were winning games in a row last year at the end of the season. This shouldn't be a big surprise that Montreal turns things around. That running game, guys, is something that I can't ignore. And I'm not too sure that Ottawa's running game is as good as Montreal's. Oh, definitely not. I think Montreal has the edge there. I don't expect a similar performance from Stanback, but I expect something pretty similar where he'll... he'll He'll command most of the offense. And, Mike, the other thing is that Montreal knows how to pick balls off quarterbacks. And I, and I really think that uh, Dominique Davis, as good as he is, he, he's prone to throwing interceptions. We learned that last week. Yes, Frank, he, you, you're right about that. You hit the nail on the head. Montreal, when it comes to their defense, them defense, they're some ball hawks. And uh, aren't they – David's got to do is don't leave with his eyes let him know where he's going. Because, you know, he has a tendency of doing that, letting, letting the DPs know where he's going with the football. But I, I'm like you, man. I, I, I think I'm going to pick Montreal with this one. I hate to do it. But uh, Montreal is on a roll, and Kahari, Day, Kahari Jones got these guys believing in themselves, man. So I think Montreal is going to get a second win. David? Yeah, I mean, I, I like uh, I, I like Montreal's chances in this one, so I'll go with Montreal. All right, uh, the big game. I, I call it the big game, and it would be bigger if Hamilton had to beat Montreal last week. Now it doesn't seem so big. But Hamilton plays Calgary really t- tough. The, Hamilton plays both Alberta teams really tough. And this is Calgary coming into Hamilton. Hamilton should be a little upset about their loss against Montreal. Um, how do you see it, Mike? We only got a few seconds left. Uh, I, I think I think uh, this is Calgary Hamilton, right? Yep. Yep. I, I see uh, Hamilton being kind of upset, man, but it ain't gonna make a difference. Calgary gonna win. David. Ah, uh, this is a tough one. I feel like Hamilton has a slight edge because. You know, their offense has been has been able to move the ball, but I mean Calgary it's really tough to go up against go up against Calgary. I think their defense is gonna give Mazzoli some fit, so I'm gonna go with Calgary, but it's gonna be I think a close one, similar to what we saw last year. Yeah, I I am uh I I'm taking I'm taking Hamilton in this one. I, I really think that they're 
really pissed, and they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of piss and vinegar, you know. Uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna play uh, angry, and, and I think the Thai Cats are a good team when they play angry. They need to play angry, but if they don't, uh, you can't you can't sleep on Calgary because they'll turn a game they're not supposed to win into one that they can win, and that's the danger that Hamilton has against Montreal. Mike, you mind doing the honors? All right. So next week, uh, myself, David, and a regular Brawl Talk team brings the 